The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, I, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Um, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program for this uh, Star Wars Day edition of the Tom Sumner Program. May the 4th be with you. Uh, we have joining me uh, this hour, um, I'm going to find out uh, more about this, um, she is a Korean Kiwi diplomat turned author who writes about the magic she wants to see in the world in her middle grade debut novel, The Last Fallen Star. Her name is Gracie Kim, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Gracie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and and sorry to make you uh, sit through that, but... Um, but welcome, and uh, let, let me ask... <laughs> I enjoyed it. Well, good. Let me ask, um, what is a Korean Kiwi diplomat? <laughs> yes, so I am a Kiwi, first and foremost. I work um, and have worked as a diplomat for the New Zealand government, um, but I am of Korean heritage. I was born in Korea, and our family immigrated to New Zealand when I was three, so... I am um, a complex being. Well, I mentioned that that your your book, The Last Fallen Star, is uh, a debut novel, but it's uh, also part of the uh, Rick Riordan Presents series. And I, I have a couple of questions about that. For one, on the dust cover of your book, um, it says it's a gifted clans novel. So number one, is this the beginning of a series? <laughs> number two, um, how did you get on Rick Riordan's uh, radar? He's considered the storyteller of the gods. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Easy question first. Um, yes, it is. Um, the Last Fallen Star is the first in a trilogy. So there will be two more Gifted Clans novels to come, which is very exciting for me. Um, and in terms of Rick Ryden, I mean, what can I say about Uncle Rick, who is, in my opinion, not fully human? He has to be at least demigod or possibly, most probably, more. Uh, more God than human. Um, I think that I got on his radar because of sheer luck. <laughs> that is my <laughs> my summary. I wrote <laughs> I wrote this manuscript um, because it was something dear to my heart. Uh, you know, a, a story that I was passionate about telling. And I first um, signed with a literary agent through a Twitter pitch contest. Would you believe? You summarize your entire manuscript in the space of a tweet, and you put it out into into the the Twitter sphere on a particular day. And agents who are interested show um, show their interest by by liking it, and then you send them your query letter. So I did that. I got um, I got some likes, and I managed to find my agent Carrie Prestrito from the Laura Dale Literary Agency through that. And then we did some revision, and then she went out to publishing houses with my manuscript uh, to find a home for it. And lo and behold, um, an editor from Disney Hyperion came back. Um, her name was Hannah. And Hannah said, I really like this, but I think I have a vision for it. Uh, if you'd be willing to make a few edits, uh, do the edits, send it back, and we'll see what we can do. So I, I did the edits. I thought her vision was fantastic. Um, including aging it down to a middle grade audience, and um, and would you believe uh, she came back uh, having read the revision and said, oh, "We'd love to buy this." And by the way, would like to put it under the Rick Wright and Presents banner. And at that moment, I <laughs> I died. Now, see, <laughs> that's now given the subject material in the in the novel. Um, again, it's the last fallen star. That sounds more like magic than luck. <laughs> yes, I mean, the, the, the story is definitely rooted in, in one's search for magic. And, you know, to be honest, I think luck is magic, would you not say? I mean, they're both intangible. They're both things that we hope, dear, uh, will will hit us like a lightning bolt. Um and they both produce wonderful things. Maybe it was magic. Well, I think I, I guess I think of magic as being a little more intentional than luck. That luck is sort of serendipitous. Mm, I like that. As in, I mean, you know what? I, considering the last one star is about witches, and witches practice their spells or their spellcraft to do better magic. I would say, yeah, there is definitely more intention in that than just sheer luck. How old were you when you went to um, New Zealand? Um, how, how long did you live in Korea before moving? So, yeah, I was three years old when, we, when our family immigrated to New Zealand. I don't have many memories of Korea. Um, we do go to visit. Um, we have quite a lot of family still over there. <clears throat> so we do go over a lot um, in a pre-COVID world anyway um, to, to see them and to eat all the things. Um, and funnily enough, I don't know how verified this is, but the family myth is that we were the 45th 
Korean families immigrate to New Zealand. Oh, really? That's interesting. And, yeah. And, and the reason that I asked about that, and you said you don't have a lot of memories of, of living in Korea um, before moving to New Zealand, um, is, is about your Korean heritage and the fact that Korean mythology plays a role in this book. And how do you stay in touch with that kind of heritage when you're living in a different place? Mm, it's a really good question, and I think the the thing that I really um, learned through this journey of writing this book is that our Korean diaspora identity is such a unique identity, and I, I never really thought about that before. You know, I call myself a Korean Kiwi, um, but I've never really considered the Korean part of me was different to, say, how Koreans would view themselves who have been born and raised and lived their entire lives in Korea. They say, actually, that there are 7 million Korean diaspora living out in the world. And that is, to me, a huge number. I mean, that is a country is a and population number. in its own right. Yeah, especially considering New Zealand has a population of 5 million. Um, and so I really do think uh, what I hope I've achieved through the last one of that is provide one take on the Korean diaspora experience. Because, of course, every Korean diaspora experience is different, too. I mean, it, we're not a monolith. Um, but I hope that I've done one, one possible experience justice. Now, there are some, some interesting facets of this book, and, and it makes me wonder um, how much is, uh, is Gracie and how much is um, Korean myth when you're talking about things like, uh, um, you know, the the um, the Gom clan, for example, and and uh, your character Riley, who is adopted and not part of the Gom clan, but wishes to be. How much is how much is, you know, Gracie? pulling this story out of her creative juices and how much of it is based on your research into Korean mythology? It's a very good question. And to me, the, the helping of Korean mythology that I had stored in my, in my mind were largely from the stories that my family told me. So my parents, and in particular, my homeland, my grandmother growing up, who told um, me and my two younger sisters lots of stories. You know, we grew up on so many stories, and they were told as if they were real life, just things that happened. The times that my homeland ran into a ghost in her fishing village in the south of Korea. <laughs> um, the the Togedi goblins that came with their with their clubs to, you know, magic away things. And, I mean, I grew up on such a strong dose of these stories that I internalized a lot of it. And even down to not necessarily storytelling in its simplest, but, for example, my mum would wake up sometimes in the morning and say, oh, gosh, Gracie, I've had this terrible dream where this horrible thing happened. 
I think you should not go to school today. And, you know, looking back on it now, it's kind of bizarre, right? Uh, you yeah. have a bad dream, so you don't send your kid to school. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the time, it was completely normal because this idea of the existence of something intangible and something beyond our everyday grasp was normal. And so I think that idea of, of mythology and folklore and stories were just a part of my, the fabric of my upbringing, of my childhood. Um, and so I drew a lot on those to form the basis of The Last Fallen Star. But in terms of where, where that ends and my creativity starts, you know, I also ask myself the same question because uh, sometimes when I'm writing, that line blurs. Um, and, and I forget where the research ended and where I've injected my own. I mean, specifically talking, I mean, you know, Rick Ryden, he is so well known for his, um, his stories that have pulled from Greek mythology and put into the modern world, right? right? And for me, I have emulated that. But because Korean mythology doesn't have an existing pantheon of gods, um, like Greek mythology does, I've created my own pantheon. So you mentioned before the cave bear goddess. Um, the cave bear definitely exists as a personality in Korean folklore and mythology, but was she necessarily in a pantheon of, of goddesses along with five others? That part was me. And um, we have a break coming up in a couple minutes, and, and I have a question I want to get into, but it's a, a little deeper than this one. Um, how did the spark happen for you that said, I need to write this book? Mm. So I grew up loving books. They were my happy place, my safe place, uh, especially fantasy. I just adored books. And it was only, um, you know, 30 odd years later, looking back on all the books that I'd loved and treasured, uh, realizing that I had been invisible on the page. You know, I'd never read a single book about anyone who looked like me or had my cultural background. Mm. And it was so sad to learn that I had internalized this belief that it was okay to not exist. You know, what greater oppression is there than to believe that you don't deserve to, to be seen? And so... I lamented, <laughs> said, why is this so? Um, and then one day I realized there's no point complaining. What I can do, however, is, is be part of the change. I can share the stories that I want to tell um, that do justice to, to the stories that I was raised on, to, that just do justice to my own experiences, um, and to share those amazing stories with everyone, not just fellow Korean diaspora readers but with everyone um, and so it's kind of how it came about I felt this need and duty well Gracie as I mentioned I have a, a Gracie I have a break coming up here can you stick around for just a few minutes so we can talk some more absolutely all right my guest is Gracie Kim she is the author of uh, a gifted clans novel called The Last Fallen Star. And we're going to talk some more with Gracie after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the author of uh, The Last Fallen Star, which uh, promises to be uh, the first in a trilogy uh, called Gifted Clans novel. Um, her name is Gracie Kim. Gracie is uh, joining me by phone. Gracie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry uh, to make you sit through all that. Oh, all good. Thanks, Tom. Um, now, I, I mentioned just before the break that there was a question, and I hope I don't bump into a spoiler alert, but there, there is for uh, the character in the book, Riley, Riley O., um, an opportunity perhaps to go from being an adopted outsider to a member of the Gamba clan, and what seems like a great idea goes horribly wrong. Indeed it does. It goes terribly wrong. <laughs> um, and, and the idea basically is that, you know, some, uh, uh, her sister Hattie, um, and, and, uh, is it along with someone else, uh, doubling up on putting their magic together to create a spell that would, uh, confer the ability to do magic on Riley O, but it backfires. That's absolutely right. So Hattie, her sister, discovers the spell in which she could share half of her magic with Riley. And for Riley, who has always, always wanted to become a healing witch like her sister, this seems like the perfect plan. You know, she can finally be part of this community and feel like a true part of her family also, too. Um, except, yes, the, the, the spell is forbidden and extremely dangerous. So, as you mentioned, they cast it anyway, and then things go terribly wrong, and Hattie, the sister Hattie's life ends up hanging in the balance. And then um, Riley has to go on the search for the last fallen star, whatever and wherever it may be, uh, or risk losing her beloved sister forever. And, and thus the title of the book, The Last Fallen Star, because then it becomes kind of a, it, it, well, it becomes an actual quest. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and they encounter um, mythical creatures and they uncover some secrets. Uh, and ultimately, Riley learns what it is to belong. You know, what is this belonging and what is true magic that she's wanted her whole life? What do those things mean? That's the journey. Now, it makes perfect sense when you you know, when you reveal that there there is this plot to get Riley some magic and and it goes awry and this quest begins, it makes perfect sense. But before that, what was it that made you want to put so much focus on an outsider as sort of the main character mm -hmm. of the book? Yeah, you know, I think that desire and yearning to belong, accepted for who we are, is so universal. You know, it's one of those things, regardless of how old you are, what your background, um, and whatever your experience is, I think we all share that feeling uh, because we're human. 
And for me, it started off from a personal place because, um, as I mentioned before, I grew up in New Zealand. And um, if we were indeed the 45th family, even if we weren't the 45th family to immigrate to New Zealand, that just goes to show how few Koreans there were in New Zealand at the time. And so I grew up feeling often stuck between my two identities because I felt I was not truly Kiwi enough. Um, I was I was discriminated against for it um, quite a lot when I was a child. And I also didn't feel Korean enough because um, when I went back to Korea, it was so marked that I was not like everybody else. I was so different. And so I thought this was a liability because it meant that I was nice. I was two parts of, uh, two incomplete parts, I guess. And it was only, you know, into adulthood that I slowly realized that it was a false choice. You know, I didn't have to make a decision about being one or the other because I didn't have to be two incomplete parts. I could be two complete whole, completely. And suddenly what I thought was a liability became an asset. It became something that I wanted to say as opposed to be embarrassed about or hide away. And so that that reckoning I had and embracing of all parts of myself is something that I wanted to explore in this book. And I I hope that I've um, sent Riley on a journey where readers can see that Riley also learns um, that we are all we set out to be and achieve um, and we don't have to choose. We can be all. When you have a story that that has magic in it, do you have to then create a world with a new set of, of rules? Yes, absolutely. And I had so much fun creating the, <laughs> the rules of this world. <laughs> and I think the best magic systems that I've witnessed in books and in, in TV programs and movies is when there is something grounded in the magic system that allows the reader or the viewer to see it in real life, in, like to apply it, I guess, to their lives. It's well, it has to have, doesn't it uh, have to have some sense of plausibility? And I think that's exactly right, Tom. I think it's that it has to be believable, right? Because if it's too far out there and you can't imagine it happening, um, then it's, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. It doesn't happen, you know. Um, so that was the fun part, taking things that exist in this world and then extrapolating it and asking the question, what if this happened? Or what if this could do this as well? And keep you know, asking those questions and exploring and building. So that was so much fun. And I actually um, drew quite a lot from Korean but also wider East Asian thoughts on like sacred elements or you know, the, the Korean zodiac and things like that. I, I, I pulled from random areas to pull together my magic system. Well, the, the thing that, that I like about your story, Gracie, is the fact that, you know, for a lot of us, we think if, if, there's, if, if someone has magic powers, what can ever possibly go wrong because they can magic their way out of it? And 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 yet you don't have much of a story if that's the case, and and so 
there are things that can go wrong that are beyond the magic. Oh, yes. You know that saying, with great, oh, no, now I can't remember it. What is it? With great power comes great responsibility. And I think that is the same with magic, you know. There has to be... For, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stan to, Lee, for that um, one. For magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there has to come consequence. And I think that's life, you know, life is like that too, right? I mean, all all big decisions come with duty. So, you know, there is definitely that part of it also in there, which drives the, the problem and which drives the story, hopefully. Gracie, when you started writing this book, did you know it was going to be a trilogy or did you get to the end and go, but wait, there's more? <laughs> I definitely got to the end and said, but wait, there's more. And, you know, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined being able to be here talking to you about that I wrote. I mean, let alone three. Uh, I just, I'm sitting here really pinching myself that this is real life because I, I just feel so grateful to everyone um, that was involved in this process to get me here because... We talked about luck, but like you say, so much magic went into this. And with this, uh, now with a book like this, it takes it takes a while. I mean, once you're done with the manuscript, there's editing and and then the the process of publishing and printing and getting the book out to bookstores and other booksellers, um, and that takes a little while. Does that mean that you're pretty far into the second novel or are you holding off until you've had a chance to to let this one settle a bit yeah actually my um edit for the book two that i'm working on is due late may so <laughs> um, i'm desperately trying to complete that revision um, while also trying to launch the first book. So, yes, absolutely. I remember being quite astonished, actually, learning about the industry and realizing that the yeah the, the birth of a book not only takes a long time, but the amount of hands that must go <laughs> into the process. I mean, like you mentioned, just in the writing process, I mean, I probably did about 17 rewrites of the book before it became the version that became today. And that was just by myself, right, through critique partners and with my agent. And then once sold, the the process and time that it took. I think they, they say, I believe, normally it takes about 18 months in average, um, 18 months for a book to go from manuscript to publication. So, yeah, it has taken a long time. Uh, and in that time, I've even had a human baby as well as this book baby. So uh, it takes a while, I feel. That's um, that's fascinating. So you're pretty far along in the second book. It, and are you sure that the third is, is going to be the end of the trilogy? Or do you see it continuing as a series? Or, um, or, or have you even given thought to what happens after the trilogy is out and what might be next for you as a writer? Oh, so there is one uh, story in the works for Riley O. Uh, of this year, Rick Riding Presents is putting together a short story anthology 
of all the Rick Wyden Presents authors that have published to date. So they're short stories from the heroes that we already know from the published books. And Theo will be featuring in her story there as well, which is set uh, one year before the last fall and stuff. So a little bit of a prequel. So that's there. In terms of after the trilogy, gosh, I mean, a girl could dream. <laughs> I um, I would love more in the same universe, possibly not um, as Riley O, but possibly uh, from the perspective of another character. But I guess that depends on um, how The Last Born Star and The Gifted Clans novels are received. And in terms of other writing, you know, I would... Big picture thinking. I would love to also write for adults. Um, and I don't know how that would conspire, what that would look like just yet, but um, I'd love to to discover what might be lurking underneath that itch. How has the um, the the pandemic, the, the COVID-19, impacted you and your work um, in New Zealand? So we've been incredibly, um, incredibly lucky in New Zealand that um, we managed to get a hold on COVID-19 pretty early on. So we've had um, quite a few lockdowns, uh, but for the most part, for, you know, in recent months especially, we've been pretty open. Um, so in terms of a day-to-day sense, more recently we haven't had so much of an impact. Things are relatively back to normal. Um, to to me, honestly, the bigger <laughs> the bigger impact on my life has been a child. So my husband and I, we had our first child during the pandemic, and she's grown up slightly odd alternate reality. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, gosh, parenthood is. I mean, I writing books is hard, <laughs> but I uh, did not know how how challenging and how so rewarding at the same time parenthood can be. So that to me has been my biggest revelation through the pandemic. Um, yes. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you manage being a new mom and, and trying to write forward on your trilogy? Uh, yes. I find it quite challenging um, because I think writers write in different ways. They have different um, methods and uh, techniques they use to to plow on, on on ahead. I love to just get stuck and just not come out for air until a revision is done or um, you know a draft is done. And you're a binge uh, writer. Yeah, I mean, like you're sorry. I said you're a binge writer. Oh, that's exactly what I am. I love that. Can I steal that from you? <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's it's uh, it's funny, Gracie, <laughs> beca- yes. because I always ask writers, you know, about about the discipline of writing. Hey, you know, do they binge write? Do they write to a schedule? There's a famous quote from Stephen King where someone asked him if he wrote to the muse or to a schedule, and he said always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every day at nine o'clock. Um. But, which, you know, is a very clever and funny answer, but it's a different process for each writer. And um, 
you know, I always imagine writers going off to a, you know, a cabin in the woods and not coming out for six months and they come out with a manuscript, you know. <laughs> um, but it sounds a little bit like that's what you do. Like you sit down and start telling the story and you keep telling the story till it, till it's done. So that is my ideal world. I would love to lock myself away in a cabin in the woods and just write, write, write until that milestone has been reached because that's the way my brain works because, like you say, I'm a binge writer. Um, But, yeah, life and especially parenthood has made that incredibly difficult. So I'm I'm having to readjust um, and learn new skills um, out of necessity, really, because deadlines are there and we must we must produce. So I've been trying lots of different things. Um, Linda Sue Park, a wonderful, wonderful writer, or one of the OGs, um, told me a few days ago that she tried the Pomodoro method, which is, you know, like those tomato timers that you twist and it bings when it's done in the kitchen? Yeah. It's one of those. Um, and so the concept is that you write for 25 minutes, I think is the, the average, uh, and then for that period of time, you can't check your phone, you can't do anything, you just write. And the idea is that it's only 25 minutes, so you can do it. Don't be distracted. And Linda Sue said that uh, that method didn't work because it was too long for her, but once she shortened it, that worked. So I'm trying to... Trying being the keyword, uh, experiment with different methods because uh, must get written. Yeah, because parenthood doesn't really present much of a schedule early on. No, it really does not. (laughs) (laughs) It it has a way of interrupting everything. I've asked a lot of... um, writers uh, especially in the US where they were on lockdown for you know much of a year or more um, if if it was an especially productive time and I'm surprised Gracie at the number that said no I was actually kind of like a deer in the headlights I, I really wasn't as productive as I wish I had been yeah, isn't that funny? I've heard that a lot, actually. And I I did feel that for a big part of it. And I think part of it was this weird feeling of what is this world? You know, as writers, we write about the, about the world we see, but also the world we want to see. And we draw so much from, from the surroundings and the world around us. And I guess when you're stuck in a, in a pandemic where you're on lockdown and you're essentially on house arrest, what are you drawing from? You know, what are you right. wanting to say about the world when the world you see is so grim? I can totally understand that feeling of, of a really good image of being a deer, or in New Zealand we would say a possum, stuck okay. in the headlights. Yeah, I, I don't know what the television li- is like in uh, in New Zealand, but in the United States, it seems like it's all it's all pandemic all the time. <laughs> really, is it? It it seems the to be. Is about the pandemic. I'm sorry. Is it the content that is all about the pandemic? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's all oh. about numbers and areas of spread and con, you know comparing one region to another region and who's getting vaccines and who oh, isn't. Oh, you mean the news? Yeah, yeah. It just seems like it's it's uh, you know every time you you turn on the television, it's even even during the regular broadcast day, there are you know COVID PSAs popping up and you know it it just. And and so that makes and it even harder for a writer, you know, who's looking, you know, to to try to gather information. Um, you know that that was mm-hmm. kind of my point. But we're get, we're getting close to the end here, Gracie, and I'm having so much fun talking with you that um, I want to make sure, as I do with uh, all of my guests give you an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and and future. Um, hopefully, uh, the next two books and, and uh, beyond. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. So my author website is graciekim.com, but people can find more about the book um, and the series at giftedclans.com. Well, Gracie, it's been uh, a, a real pleasure, and I wish you uh, all the best with uh, The Last Fallen Star and uh, the other Gifted Clans novels uh, as as they are released. I hope you'll come back uh, when the next one is out and talk some more. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. That was uh, Gracie Kim. She is the author of a uh, a debut middle grade novel called The Last Fallen Star. That's for middle grades, not a middle grade novel. And um, she lives in New Zealand. She is from Korea originally, and she draws on Korean mythology in the book, which is part of why... uh, her book and and her work is uh, has become part of the Rick Riordan Presents series, and uh, what a treat! She was uh, she was fun to talk to. Now we do have uh, a break coming up in uh, just a minute or so, and if you're listening to us on WFOV ninety two point one LPFM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll be back uh, after the break with the final segment of today's Star Wars edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, may the Force be with you. Um, also, I'll uh, mention that uh, coming up tomorrow, tomorrow is Wednesday, and that means Armchair Politics. And East Village Magazine consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson joins our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, uh, for uh, Two hours of commentary and analysis. And before we get into Armchair Politics on tomorrow's show, or our weekly edition of Armchair Politics, we're going to talk with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the final segment of today's show right after this.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Now, class, today, today we're going to talk about Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. (laughs) Now, I know how you've all heard how she was a beautiful woman. Well, now, she wasn't a beautiful woman. She wasn't a beautiful woman at all. I mean, she is all right. (laughs) But she wasn't beautiful. Now you're going to ask me, if she wasn't beautiful, how come Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony and everybody went so crazy over Well, you'll have to remember that Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony were soldiers and overseas. <laughs> now, now how, how Julius Caesar met her, how Julius Caesar met her, he used to go down to Egypt every 4th of July. See, and he was down there spending the holidays, and he was, he was just set, sitting around in his tent one night by himself, lonely, reading prescriptions. <laughs> and she come walking in, and he was so struck by her that he just got up and gave her his seat. And he says, he says, he says, ars mutatis longa vita mutandis brevis. And that means, as sure as a vine twines around the stump, you are my darling sugar lump. (laughs) Even in high school, he is good at verses. (laughs) And anyhow, they got to fooling around after supper, and he asked her to marry him. And they did. They got married, and he took her on back to Rome, and, and everybody got mad at him for marrying her. The senators there in Rome, they finally got so mad at him that they killed him. They caught him in an alley one night and stabbed him right in his toga. <laughs> and that's when, when Caesar said that famous line, just as he was dying, that famous line you might remember, he said to Brutus, he says, et tu, Brute? And Brutus says, yeah, me too. Now, it happened, it happened, there was this fellow, Mark Anthony, that was living there at that time, and he was an old army buddy of Julius Caesar's, and he was a pretty big man with the civil service. (laughs) Now, he killed all the senators, and it happened, you know, to get revenge, and it happened that he was going to go down to Egypt anyhow, and while he was there, he thought he'd just stop in on Cleopatra. And he told her how he had killed all the senators, and she said how much she appreciated it. And they got to liking one another, and first thing you know, there's dating. (laughs) 
they was. They was riding around on camels and sailing around on her barge and fooling around back of the pyramid. <laughs> Appreciate it. In fact, somebody wrote on one of the pyramid walls, Anthony loves Cleopatra. It was right next to where somebody else wrote, Pharaoh was here. And, and, and everything, everything was going good for him. Everything was going real good. But Mark Anthony had a wife in Rome and she wouldn't give him a divorce. And it happened that her brother had just been elected emperor of Rome. And he come in one day and he says, sister, he says, you know what I'm gonna do? She says, what? He says, I'm going down there and declare war on Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And she says, would you? And he did. He went down there and was just a whooping the fire out of him. There's dead Egyptians laying everywhere. The streets was full, tombs was full, and he went all over Egypt looking for somebody to, to run him through with his sword, and, and everybody looked, like, looked at him like he was a nut, and he was peculiar. <laughs> he couldn't find anybody to do it, so he run himself through, and he expired. <laughs> And, and Cleopatra, she heard of it, and she had this snake, just a little old bitty thing, but poison. And that thing bit her, and her maid run in, her handmaiden, and says, Mistress, Mistress, what happened? And she says, Snake bite. And she says, Well, what you do? You cut it where it bit you and suck it. <laughs> she says, No, I meant to. And she says, Why, old mistress, why? And she says, In articulo mortis. Now, that's that famous saying. In articulo mortis. And children, I hope all of you remember what that means, cause I certainly don't. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. night three flights zero hour nine a.m. and I'm gonna be high as a cake bag Much I miss my wife It's lonely out in space On such a time Timeless Flight like this 
And I think it's gonna be a long, long time Till touchdown brings me back around to find Not the man they think I am at all No, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning out its fuse that hell on Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids In fact, it's cold as hell And there's no one there to raise them hmm, If you did All this science I don't understand <laughs> Just my job five days a week Rocket man <laughs> Rocket man Touchdown brings me back around to find Not the man they think I am at all No, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning out his feet out hell on I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long Well, that wraps it up for today's Star Wars Day edition of the Tom Sumner Program. May the 4th, or should I say May the 4th, be with you. This Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, first, I want to thank all of my guests, starting with Claudia Kalb, first thing this morning, talking about her book, Spark, How Genius Ignites from Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers, and then Chasing the Ghost. Um, about uh, Nobelist Fred Rhinus and the Neutrino from uh, Leonard Cole. And then finally, this last hour, Gracie Kim. Armchair Politics tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.